Good morning, church family. I hope you guys are excited to be in the house of the Lord. That's right. What's up? What's up? <laughs> guys, I'm so excited to be with y'all this morning. In fact, the reason I'm so excited is because of what God has been doing all throughout this season at Carville First Baptist Church. Over this past summer, you know, we've seen some incredible things from our backyard kids clubs where we saw hundreds of volunteers come out and, and see hundreds of kids come and hear about the gospel of Jesus. We got to see a special needs camp as well as our, our kids camp and our students camps. I mean, all summer long, God has been doing incredible things. We got to see 15 new brothers and sisters come to faith in Christ from middle school camp. And we got to see eight kids from kids camp make that same decision to follow Jesus and I want to share this with you just yesterday last night I received a message from one of our students whose life was changed at camp they had been all week at their ROTC camp at their school and they had been leading a prayer gathering and a, a, a student came to him and a friend afterwards and prayed to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior I mean, can we celebrate, y'all, what God has been doing this season through our young people here at Carville First Baptist Church? That's awesome. And it reminds me of something one of our, our, our camp speaker, what he said at both high school camp and middle school camp, and that was this, that radical change is our response to the gospel. And what we've been witnessing is a radical change in the, in the hearts and lives of the young people, our students and our kids here at CFBC all summer long. And this change is the result of, of a new life that has come into their lives through their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for many of you in this room, you've also experienced that same new life in him. And so this, this, this morning, it's going to be all about the Christian life. We're going to be looking at a passage of scripture that's going to not only help for us to, to take kind of like a, a pulse read about our walk with Christ, but also to inspire and encourage us for what next. And so to my 23 new brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to say, hey, this morning, God's going to be talking to us about what to do next. And for all of my older believers in this room who have been walking this road for a while, the word of God's going to be answering the question about what to do now. In fact, the phrase that's been on my heart that I've repeated, you know, day after day to our students has been this. Whenever we hear the word of God preached, we must respond. That is what the Holy Spirit is looking from us. Whenever we open up this word and hear it taught or preached, we need to respond. And as believers, part of our response to the gospel is obedience and love. And so our passage this morning is going to be found in the letter of 1 John. And so if you would, go ahead and join me there by turning there in your Bible, scrolling there in your app. We're going to be looking at the, the letter of 1 John, specifically in chapter 2. But as you turn there, I just want to give you a little bit of some background info about this letter so that you know where we're coming in the Bible. This letter was written by the Apostle John, Jesus' best friend. And he was writing it late in the first century, already an older man. And he wrote it to a group of believers who had been scattered all throughout Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. 
And these believers had begun to to, uh, deal with this false teaching, this false narrative that had begun to, to play out through Christian circles that Jesus wasn't really God and that you actually needed to have some kind of special knowledge or enlightenment in order to really have eternal life or to be saved. And so John gives us his, his thesis statement in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, where he says these words, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. The apostle was wanting believers to be able to know that that they really have salvation and that eternal life is their reward. And so when we find ourselves in 1 John chapter 2, which is our passage today, John's going to give us several tests meant to encourage believers that they are really following Jesus. And so, so these answers, the answers to these questions that, that we could ask are, how can you know if you have eternal life? And what does following Jesus really look like? Well, this morning, the word of God is going to drive us to respond to the answers we will find. And so if I could just, just bring it all into one statement, it would be this. We respond to the gospel with obedience and love. That's our response. Join me in 1 John chapter two, we will begin reading in verse one. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Don't miss this. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment but an old one. An an old command that you had from the beginning. And this old commandment is the word that you heard, but at the same time it is a new commandment that I am writing which is true in him that is in Jesus and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. And whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and he walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Join me and let's pray. In the name of the true Lord Jesus Christ, Father God, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit here this morning, that you would speak through your word, through me, and that God, you would encounter us and you would reveal your word and your love and you would call us to respond. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We respond to the gospel with obedience and love. Are you ready? Because the gospel is our starting point. What what happens here in this first uh, letter of John, in the first two verses, is John brings us back to the very beginning of our relationship with God. That starting point. In fact, John always does this with his writings. Because the gospel is our starting point in our relationship with God, in our obedience to his word, and in our relationship to other people. The gospel is always the starting point. It's why in John chapter 1, he begins with this beautiful poem all about Jesus and how he stepped into our darkness to call us to the light, promising that we could be called children of God if we would just believe in his name. And then in 1 John chapter 1, John begins again from this eyewitness account that he he can attest to who Jesus was in all of his glory as the Son of God who had been made manifest here amongst us to call people to himself. And then in verses 1 and 2, John does the same thing in chapter 2. This, This good news, this gospel as our starting point is that though we were all lost in our brokenness and sin, living in the selfishness and rebellion of our lives, that God sent Jesus. In the middle of our brokenness, as a propitiation for our sins, appeasing the wrath of God, paying the penalty that we deserved, and then offering us forgiveness and new life in him, Not characterized by sin, but characterized by the righteousness of our advocate, Jesus Christ. Paul would write in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so despite the pain that we've experienced and the brokenness that you and I have caused, you and I can receive forgiveness. You and I can experience new life in Christ forever. And if that wasn't enough, in verse one, we are told that we get an advocate with the Father. That Jesus the righteous didn't just come to this earth and die on the cross and rise back into heaven and just sit down doing nothing, but he sat at the right hand of God always interceding on your behalf, praying for you and empowering us as believers to live out this new life that he gives to all who would believe. That's what it means when John calls him our advocate. And when we come to that word in verse one, what John is really telling us is that this gospel is for believers too. It's not just something that that was the the, the on-ramp for our salvation at one point in our past. The gospel is for believers every single day. That that advocate is empowering us to live out the gospel and to make his name great. And so what that looks like is as you and I need patience, the gospel reminds us that God was patient with you. 
When you and I, when, 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 when we need strength to keep going, the gospel reminds us that Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit went to the grave for you, but didn't stay dead, but rose in life. The gospel for us as believers is that no matter how hard it is to forgive that person who has hurt you, the gospel reminds us that God, while we were still sinners, forgave us in Jesus. And so the gospel is not just the good news that we can be saved, but it is the power by which we live out every day. And then in verse 2, it's not just that Jesus is our advocate, but he was the propitiation for our sins. And not just ours, but the sins of the whole world. Fancy word, of course. For that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection were an atoning sacrifice in your place. Taking all of the wrath of God on him so that you could experience all of the favor and love and goodness of God through him. Jesus is our propitiation. But when you see that, don't miss the last line. If Jesus as our advocate means that the gospel is for believers, the fact that Jesus is the propitiation, not just for us, but for the whole world, means the gospel is for everybody. The person sitting next to you, your boss, your coworker, that, burst, that person who, who will not stop in their seeming like slander against your name because of maybe something you did that you don't even know, the gospel's for them too. The gospel's for everyone. That Jesus made a way for us to be made right with God and experience forgiveness and new life, that is what 23 students and kids responded to this summer. But not just them, but dozens of students and kids were responding to Jesus as their advocate, as they owned up to sin and hurt and trauma in their lives and a need for for direction and guidance. And so whether you need to place faith in Jesus this morning or whether you've been walking with him for a long time, you and I never graduate from the gospel. And we must never deprive someone else of it either. It is for everyone. Paul would say in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for all who would believe. The gospel is always our starting point for forgiveness, for obedience, and for how to love other people. What matters is how we respond to it. And what we're going to find as we keep reading in John 2 is that obedience is our response to the gospel. Join me in verse 3 where John writes, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected, and by this we may know that we are in him. And so in verse 3, John introduces us to the first mark of a believer. Obedience. 
For, for those living in the first century, John was clarifying that you don't need some kind of secret knowledge or enlightenment to be able to experience life in God and eternal life with him forever, but that if your life is marked by obedience to the word of God, you can rest assured that you not only know God, but he is with you, he is in you, and you have hope for a future. That, that was John writing to the first century, and that's him writing to us today. Because John tells us that people who have been changed by the gospel will keep God's word. In fact, in verses 3 and 4, this is a black and white issue. There's no gray area here. Either you obey God's word or you're not. And so it's very clear cut for him, and it's our first test of assurance as a believer. Just remember, church family, that our ability to live out God's word comes from his work that he already accomplished in you. I'm not earning my salvation by doing what the Bible says. I am living out and expressing my gratitude and a changed life because of what Christ has given me, forgiveness and life and mercy and direction. And so in verses three and four, John is showing us that the genuineness of our faith is revealed by our obedience. And that's what Jesus' Jesus's half-brother James would go on to say in James chapter 2, verse 17. That so also faith by itself without works is dead, it's useless. They're saying the same thing. That, that, that my obedience doesn't just reveal our faith, it grows it and it completes it. In verse 5, he says, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. The love of God is perfected by our obedience. And before you go missing something here, this is not talking about God's love for us being perfected by our obedience. That's not the gospel. God already loved you so much, he sent Jesus to make a way for you and I to be saved. Instead, he's talking about our love for God. Our love for God is, is made perfect. It's completed by our obedience to God's words. And so when he goes on in, in verse 5 and 6, and he talks about you know, those who keep his word and, and those who say they abide in him, those words keep and abide. They're words that speak to a consistent pattern of your life. It's a habit of yours. Obedience to God's word is a habit in the life of a believer. See, abiding means to take up residence. It's where we hang our hats or kick up our feet at night. It's a common part of our life. This is not some one and done, God told me 15 years ago to quit smoking kind of thing. This is the consistent pattern of my life, that I would seek to model my life after Jesus, the way he walked, that I would be in his word and hearing his words and seeking to obey them. Sidebar, don't miss this fact. You can't obey God's word if you don't know God's word. 
And so the real call here for us is that the pattern of our life should be one of following Jesus by getting in his word, by reading his words. That's why here at CFBC, we try to make this as easy as possible to study the Bible with a group of believers. And so if you're not already part of one, you can come early on Sunday mornings. And at 9.15, you can join a connect group and get with believers who are, who are looking to get into the word of God and see how it impacts our lives. Or even later on in August, August 16th, we'll have equip classes starting. These take place on Wednesdays and, and Thursday mornings and, and Wednesday nights. And these are places where we can dive deeper. And so if you're not already connected, y'all, get connected. We've never made it easier. Just hit up our website, scroll to the bottom, boom, connect, equip, bam. You can find it. People who follow Jesus are known by their obedience to the word of God. So what place does the word of God hold in your life? What command is God calling you to obey? Because if we're not careful, church family, we will delay our obedience. We'll delay because it's uncomfortable to obey. And before you know it, years have gone by and you'll be sitting there feeling like God is somehow crazy distant from you when the reality is he never left. Really, it was our disobedience that drove a wedge into our relationship with God. So do not delay, obey. Growing my obedience grows my faith. My love for God is perfected by my obedience to the word of God. So we gotta get in it, we gotta read it, we gotta know it, and we gotta obey it. The gospel is our starting point and obedience is our response. But notice, love is our demonstration of the gospel. He, he doesn't stop in verse six talking about those who abide would also walk like he walked. He goes on to say in verse seven, beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old one that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've already heard. And at the same time, it's a new one that I'm writing to you, which is true in Jesus and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. And whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and cannot know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Love is our demonstration of the gospel. And for John, light and love are very common themes throughout his writing. In fact, he will often use light as an illustration for the love of God. And so when he's talking about this old commandment and this new commandment, they're really the same thing, love. 
They are an old commandment because they were true from the beginning all the way back in Leviticus 19. But they are a new commandment because they've now been demonstrated by Jesus and are actively demonstrated by you every day. As believers, if we're walking out the love of God, then our lives are demonstrating this love, this command that John introduces us to all the way back in John 13, that by this they will know that you are my disciples if you you love one another. And so love is our demonstration. But look in verse 9, because this should be a sobering question. Did you catch the first test? If we keep God's word, we are walking in him, yeah? If you love, then you are walking in the light. But if verse 9 is true, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. It's the second test. And why does John say if anyone hates their brother, they're still stuck in darkness? Why why, why is he saying that? Because the light of God is the love of God. And there is either light or there is darkness. Now, light can be dim or bright, but there is no dark light. And so one of the two is true in your life today. One of the two. And when Jesus stepped into the world, he stepped down as the light of the world. And as the light of the world, he demonstrated true love, selfless and sacrificing love. That means despite how tired Jesus might have been, He continued to give of himself to all of the people that would come around, begging for healing, needing deliverance from from demonic activity, uh, looking for their next meal, looking to hear the word of God and life and hope. And no matter how tired he was, he would keep preaching. He would keep serving because he was selfless in his love, but he was also sacrificial. That he would give of himself up to the point of death on the cross willingly to demonstrate his love for us. That's why Paul writes in Romans 5.8 that God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And even John himself would write about this in 1 John 4.10 where he says, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Taking all the wrath and just payment for our wrongs so that we could inherit the favor and goodness and love of God. Now notice about the kind of love God demonstrated by sending Jesus. God's love never shies away from confrontation. 
He doesn't sweep uh, sin under the rug. And at the same time, his love is not some kind of weak sauce welcome mat that gets, gets trampled all over. His love confronts sin like a light revealing the true cause of our brokenness and pain. The true cause is the sin in our own hearts. We are the cause of our brokenness and pain. And other people who are broken in sin are the cause of our brokenness and pain. But that light doesn't just reveal the true source of our brokenness, it guides us to new life, true love, to hope and joy and peace and forgiveness in Christ. So notice that real love as demonstrated by God means stepping into the brokenness and offering a way out. This type of love that is supposed to characterize the life of a believer is supposed to not just be selfless and sacrificing, it's supposed to bring other people up It's supposed to reach out. It doesn't wait for the phone call. It doesn't wait for an opening. It confronts and offers love and brings forgiveness. So it never covers up sin and shame. Instead, it offers forgiveness, purpose, and new life. I'm reminded of of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And she was brought before Jesus, trying to get Jesus to condemn her, trying to to trap Jesus in his words and and, and whatever he is he might be teaching. And so as all these people bring this woman and throw her at Jesus' feet, he begins to, to write in the sand. And then he says these words. He says, let those without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, the people drop their stones and walk away. And so the only ones left are Jesus and this woman caught in her shame and guilt. And Jesus looks at her and he says, woman, where are your accusers? She says, they're gone. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He met this woman in her shame and sin with love. He did not condemn her, cause her strife, slander her. And instead, he offered her forgiveness, but he called sin, sin. Because there is not forgiveness without our recognizing our need for a savior. This is the kind of love God offers, one of truth, but one of peace and love and joy and and patience and forgiveness. And so in verses 9 and 11, or through 11, John gives us two examples, those who are walking in darkness and those who are walking in the light. In verse 9, those who walk in darkness are characterized by hatred Whereas in verse 10, those who walk in the light are characterized by love, the kind of love that God has demonstrated. These two things cannot coexist. 
Have you ever seen a hateful, loving person? No. So instead, either one of the two is true in you and in me. Listen to what Paul says about those who are, respond to this forgiveness that they've experienced in the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 31 and 32, listen to the word of God. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Why is hatred so bad? Because hatred equals bitterness, slander, and malice. And bitterness is, is, is what happens when we cling to the hurt or negative feelings that someone else has caused us by our, their actions or attitudes. And, and, and bitterness, it's, 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 it's what we cling to, and really bitterness is unforgivingness. And when instead of forgiving someone for what they've done and said, we cling to it, and it literally changes the way we feel about them and the way we see them. And you know, bitterness always festers. And it never goes away on its own. And when bitterness begins to be demonstrated by your life, it comes out as slander. When you want other people to see that person who hurt you the way you see them. And when it's left unchecked, it becomes malice, which is where your hurt and anger and bitterness now means you don't want anything good to ever happen to them. And you know why it's so sinful? Because malice means withholding the gospel from them. You don't want to see them forgiven. You're like Jonah, sitting on the cliffside, waiting for God to, to destroy Nineveh. You would prefer God to deny his character rather than deal with with what has happened to you. And that is why hatred can have no place in the life of a believer. And I get it, y'all, it's hard. I know exactly what it's like to be so hurt by someone that it traps you in that, in that, that, that hole of bitterness and depression where it wrecks your life for years. And yet the gospel that was made available to you says that no matter how far you've gone and no matter how far they've gone, no matter how, what they've done, no one is too far gone that God cannot save. That's your hope. That all the sin of your life and the sin of the whole world, that God, despite all of it, would demonstrate love and move first and make a way for us to be saved and forgiven so that you and I can live out that new life. And far be it from us who receive that gift of eternal life to actively wish that they would not be able to find forgiveness. Instead, our love 
is what demonstrates the gospel to them. And that's why he says in verse 10, but whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And so hatred has no place. John Piper once wrote about this very thing when he said, the gospel contains not only the commandment to trust Jesus, but also the commandment in the power of that trust to be changed into a loving person. Does this kind of love mark your life? Because as believers, my new brothers and sisters in Christ, our lives need to become marked by our obedience to God's word as our response to the gospel and our love is what demonstrates that change that God has begun in you. It might be simple, but it is not easy. And yet, this is what God has called us to. Love is our demonstration of, our, of the changed life that we have. And so does this characterize your life? What offense or hurt have you been clinging to for too long? That if you and I could be honest, it has driven a wedge between you and God. Brothers and sisters, God is not distant from you. Confess the sin of disobedience, of hatred, and experience that advocate in that new life in Christ, we respond to the gospel with obedience and love. I'm gonna invite our teams to come down front. Our worship team's gonna join me on the stage and then we're gonna have our ministers and staff down front right here on the floor. And in a moment, we're all gonna stand and in that moment, we're gonna, we're gonna respond however the Holy Spirit is calling you just know that John wrote this letter to reassure believers that they actually have eternal life. And he did this by giving us two tests that demonstrate a changed life, that we would obey his word and that we would love others. And so if these two marks are missing in your life, then the question you should be asking is, am I really following Jesus? And as the Holy Spirit maybe brings to your mind that command that he called you to obey years ago, maybe today you would say, yes, Lord. Or maybe as that, that hurt and that person has come to your mind and you don't even know where to begin, maybe you would say today, God, I don't know how, but help me, Lord. Come down front. We would love to pray for you. You can, you can come down to these steps and you can leave that name at the altar. You can lift them up to God and pray for them. But for a brief moment, I just wanna hone in on one more thing because I believe God has convicted me recently that delayed obedience is one of the chief sins of the American church where we have people respond in faith to Jesus but wait years to be baptized where we have young adults who, who avoid tithing like the plague 
saying maybe if I could just pay off my student loans or get a real job, then I would give. As if God hasn't already given you everything and is just asking for you to trust him even with your money. Or maybe there are some in here that say, once I'm retired, I'll serve God and I'll serve the church only for the tune to change. I already did my time when I had kids. Regardless, God is calling us to respond in obedience and love today. And so would you do me a favor? Would you stand? And if you, if you feel God leading you to, to join a church where you can be held accountable by other believers as we study the word, come on down. We would love to let you know how you can do that. If you, if you need to respond in faith, come to talk to one of our, our ministers. But whatever the Holy Spirit is calling you to do, church, every time we hear the word of God preached, we respond. So you respond as the Lord leads.